you know, I'm going to do anything in my power. And I've just always been like that since I started in this business. And to this day, and, and I want people that understand that is, uh, you know, you should you should be willing to do whatever to help a team. You know, we tell our players that all the time. So why wouldn't we do the same as coaches then? You know, why wouldn't we be willing to sweep the floor when it needs uh, to be swept and, you know, wipe sweat spots off the floor when it needs to be wiped up? Why wouldn't we be willing to do uh, the same things if we're asking so much of our players? Welcome to the Jamoti Podcast. We are all surrounded by amazing coaches and leaders. So let's get an inside look at not just what they do, but how they do what they do. After all, becoming the best versions of ourselves is Jamoti just a matter of doing it. Today we are joined by the head men's basketball coach at Angelo State University, Vinay Patel. Coach Patel is in his 19th year of coaching, nine as a head coach. He started as an assistant at West Texas A&M from 2005 to 2014 and then spent one year at Rogers State. He took over the Oklahoma City University program from 2015 to 2019 and then from Northwestern Oklahoma State from 2019 to 2022. In his first year at Angelo State, he led the Rams to a 19-3 record in conference, which was the best record for a first-year head coach in school history and second most wins in program history. Coach Patel was named the Co-LSC Coach of the Year in 2023. He was also named Dave Campbell's non-D1 Texas Coach of the Year. Before we hear from Coach, take a moment to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media at Jamoni Podcast. How are you doing, man? Man, I'm good. How about you? Doing good. You had a little class today? I wouldn't say uh, that I teach a class more that I facilitate a silent study hall. And now I do that well. So <laughs> it's not bad. Man, congrats. I mean, I, I've watched your podcast. I mean, you've had a lot of my friends on. And I was telling I was telling my staff that today and just how many of my friends you've had on. And this I mow a lot. And so uh, on, I just built a new house here. And so, you know, we're trying to get the yard going. So I mow. And every time I mow, I listen to a podcast, you know, and, and a lot of them happen to be happen to be yours. Wow. Of my friends like Brendan Shingleton and I are good friends. We scrimmage every year. And, you know, and, and I just I was listening to his and I actually called a few people the other day. And I said, man, you got you got to listen to Brendan's podcast. And, and unknowingly, I, I couldn't tell you how many people I told about your Podcast. So you're the reason for the spike that I saw. <laughs> no. no, I man, I appreciate that. And I loved his episode. You know, I've been able to be around him with some camps like me and Matt Garnett with MG basketball. We, 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 we would have our camps out of his, his place. And, but getting to hear him talk about his program, I, it was, it was a great talk. He, uh, and you know him really well, and and uh, I coached against him. I was in that conference uh, for four years, and but we became friends over that span. And, you know, he always plays the card of I'm not very smart, even though he is, as you know. And I always tell him he's a sandbagger, you know. That's, well, we know that for sure now because I felt the same way. I, I've heard him talk like that. And, and again, never really seeing him do much with his team or or – but just being around him after that talk, I thought, what a sandbagger. Like <laughs> I called a, a coach in his conference that's a close friend of mine. And I said, you need to watch Brennan's. I said, because it's going to change your thought process because I, I, you never really know what's important to somebody because the way he hides it 
and not knowingly, he doesn't hide it knowingly, but he's just so humble with, you know, what he does. And so yeah. you don't know what's important, what's not. And so just hearing that, I was like, man, he's, he's just, he's really talented. Yeah. And there, there's way more to him. Right. I, I think that's gotta be one of the, the things I enjoy doing the, why I enjoy doing this the most is we rarely get to know like really what coaches think and feel and how they approach their teams. And, you know, there's only like a select few that we maybe watch on TV and they get asked a few questions where about culture and things like that. And even at that point, I mean, how open and authentic are they going to be in front of, you know, the the millions, but one-on-one, and uh, it was just, yeah, it's been so much fun. Well, you've done a great job with this. So, I mean, I, I love it. I can tell you that. And I'm, I, I'm, I don't have a lot of time for reading because I got a, a four-year-old that's running around all over my house. And so <laughs> when I get a chance, I, you know, I listen to podcasts. So I, I was actually, you know, yours has been really good for me because I get to, one, listen to people that I've known too as well. But, but you've had such a variety of coaches uh on yours as well so of all levels like jeff evans and i i've known jeff evans almost 20 years you know, man that was that was a fun one right there so both coach broadhurst and coach evans you know because they coach in amarillo yeah coached at west texas a&m for almost a decade so got to know both got to see them practice and they came to games and so you know it was neat getting to hear both of those guys as well i think you hit on something right there though it's really fun to to hear from some of those coaches that you would rarely get to meet or know. That's all. It's fun to have those talks, but really interesting to listen to people that you do have a relationship with and maybe even make more, you know, connect more dots with what you know about their history, how they coach and their programs Uh, for around the Dallas Fort Worth area. I've been able to hit a lot more of those high school coaches that I, that I personally know. And that's kind of been a reoccurring theme was, man, I've known this guy for 20 years, but really enjoyed listening to him. And so I I think you hit on it. Well, yeah, I, I mean, I completely agree. It's, you know, and then to me is, you know, when I'll talk to them or I'll talk to somebody else and and they'll say, Hey, have you heard, you know, so-and-so on your podcast? It'll make me want to go listen to somebody else, you know, but I'm one of those. I I listen to, I mean, it doesn't matter if it's basketball, football. I mean, I I just, I like listening to good leaders, you know, whatever they are. So, cause I I just think you can take away from so much from so many people one way or the other, you know, no doubt. It definitely translates. Like it, it doesn't matter that, that book, uh, legacy about the all blacks. I mean, that's a, it's about rugby. Yeah, it's leadership and you can read that book and it can transform a program, you know, with some of those concepts. So I think I think you're right on the money and I've been looking forward to this one. I really appreciate you giving up your time, getting to learn, just read a little bit about your journey. I do want to start, you know, really with that, if you don't mind sharing just kind of how you got to where you are, because it is a, a journey that not many coaches that get to your level I've gone through. But first of all, man, thank you so much for giving up your time. Hey, excited to be on. I told you I've been a longtime fan of this. And, and uh, man, I just love the people that you've had on here. So uh, thank you for allowing me to be on here today and, and uh, visit with you today. And But, I, I mean, I'll tell you, I've, I've had a unique journey to, to get to where I was at or where I'm at right now. And it's been it's been fun, you know, for me. Uh, but it's been challenging. It's been hard. Uh, you know, uh, I, uh, I'm from a small town, born and raised, Shamrock, Texas. I mean, uh, in the panhandle, if you, 
if you know me, like, you know where I'm from, because I tell people all the time, I'm really proud of uh, being from Shamrock. Uh, you know, I graduated with 26 kids in my class and played high school basketball and, and was an okay. I mean, I wasn't great at, at by any means, but I was okay. And um, too small, too slow, you know, too short <laughs> to play beyond <laughs> that, uh, you name it. So, you know, I was called into coaching. I felt like I wanted to coach. I, I knew that from the start. So I went to college. I went to Texas Tech. Uh, wasn't part of their program or anything like that. Um, you know, I just really uh, I just went to school, you know, and, and that was it more than anything. And I uh, was in a class my senior year, and I was with a football player. And uh, we were in this education class together my last year. And I said, uh, what are you getting ready to do? Because he's getting ready to finish as well. And he goes, you know, I'm going to be a GA. And I said, well, what is that? I didn't even know what it what it is. And he goes, well, I'm going to be a grad assistant coach while I, where I go to grad school and I coach at the same time. And me being as naive as I was back then, and I go, well, I want to be a GA. You know, not knowing everything of how to become one or anything like that, or, hey, you probably needed to play or be a manager or anything, you know, I wasn't even a part of anything. So I uh, I wrote emails, handwritten letters, I mean, over 300 plus across the country, just trying to GA, trying to volunteer, uh, just wow. the opportunity to help a team. And uh, Rick Cooper at West Texas A&M uh, responds to an email and, you know, agrees to meet with me. So I drive down, uh, you know, uh, I'm 21 years old, bright eyed, bushy tailed, you know, so I go down shirt and tie. Their their office was on the second floor of the field house. So I, you know, go up the stairs, open the door, and there's a GA there. There's an assistant coach there. And I said, hey, I'm here to meet Coach Cooper today. And they said, well, he's not in. Oh. <laughs> I was like, what? And uh, they just said he wasn't in today. So, and I drove from Lubbock to Canyon. It's about a 90-minute drive, you know, so I drove down. And so I got back in my car, and I'm driving back to Lubbock, you know, and I'm a little frustrated and about halfway into my drive back, Coach Cooper calls me, and he completely forgot. And uh, at the time, and he said, "Hey, I'll come up there to meet with you." And, wow. and I said, "Oh, I said, give me another day. I want to. I'll come back down. You just give me another day that works." And so I think about a week later, I go back down, and I and I joke with people. You know, he allowed me to be a volunteer grad assistant, and I and I joke with people, and I say the only reason he gave me a shot is because he forgot to show up the same the first out time out of guilt. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, you know, I go in as a volunteer my first year, and and I'm basically a glorified manager. But I didn't care. I was I was excited uh, to get a chance to work with the college team, and you know I didn't have keys to the field house. I didn't have keys to an office, anything. So I sat on the steps about seven fifteen every morning, waiting on uh, John Hassey to get there, who was an assistant AD, uh, or any coach to show up to let me in, and. You know, so then I'd go to work whenever I got there. I just I knew I, I was smart enough to at least understand how unique of an opportunity it was for me. And so I wanted to take full advantage of it. So I just I had the mindset I'm going to be the first one there. I'm going to be the last one to leave every day and I'm going to do whatever they ask me to do. And so that first year, I think I was essentially a glorified manager. You know, I did laundry, um, you know, I typed stuff, you know, coach would have me type letters and spreadsheets, uh, you name it. I did film exchange, old school film exchange with VHS and stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I just did those things, and I tried to be really good at that. I sat in my assistant coach's office. Uh, Justin Ashley was assistant at the time, and would just ask him a lot of questions and just soak up, 
you know, as much information as he would give me. Uh, so then my second year, I got <clears throat> a little bit more to do. You know, I got to jump into some recruiting and things like that as well that second year. And, you know, I, I think like any GA, you know, you get two years, you get a master's, then what? And so that thought process started occurring, you know, is, is what am I going to do after this? And I get close to the end and Pete Peterson has an assistant job open at Texas A&M Kingsville. So I drive 15 hours down to Kingsville to interview with Pete Peterson. Uh, he offers me the job. When I come back, West Texas A&M says, hey, we'll create a job if you stay here and you can be the men's and women's second assistant at the same time. And I just. How do you even do that? How, do, how is that possible? <laughs> I didn't know the logistics of it at the time, but, uh, you know, I just said, Hey, we'll figure it out. And so <laughs> I'll tell you the, it was, I learned a lot those three years. I did it for three years. And, uh, but to me, I got six years out of it because I'm in two practices every day. I'm in back-to-back practices with mm. the girls and the guys. I'm recruiting for both. I'm scouting for both. Uh, you know, I'm doing everything for both. So all that I missed, not being a player in college or not being a manager in, in college, I felt like I got to catch up because I got to do so much those three years. Uh, but it was exhausting, you know, but I, I was with two really good coaches. Uh, the women's coach was Krista Gerlich, who's the head coach at Texas Tech now. The uh, women's assistant was Kevin Baker, who ended up being the head coach at UTEP. And then, and then there was me on that side. And then the men's side, we were still the same. You know, it was Coach Cooper, Coach Ashley, and myself. And so I did that for three years. And, and uh, you know, I just was really fortunate after that third year. I got bumped up to be the lead assistant on the men's side. And so I did that, you know, for a few years. And all in all, I was at West Texas A&M for about nine years, just a little hmm. over nine years. And then, uh, you know, I go to Rogers State, which is a Division II in Oklahoma. good friend of mine was the head coach there, Justin Barkley. Uh, and this will tell you about uh, networking and, you know, all the stuff that you get to do. You know, when I was a uh, grad assistant, I told you I did film exchange. Justin Ashley was the grad assistant for Northeastern Oklahoma State. And we got to know each other through film exchange, through trade and tape. And so now, you know, he was a good friend. And, you know, I go up to Roger State and I wanted to be with a, you know, a good friend and learn some new stuff. Uh, he played pretty fast back then. And. So I go there for a year. They're transitioning NAI to D2. Uh, we win 20 games together that first year. And, and and I'm telling you, at the time, it was one of the most fun years of coaching I had had uh, because we were pretty close in age and everything else. So we, we just had a lot of fun together. Uh, his wife and my wife became friends. And, you know, my wife was in coaching as well at that time. But my second year, we start and uh, – Tyler Wayman, who is the other assistant for us, uh, we're driving to Dallas to recruit, and I get a call uh, from Justin Barkley, and and uh, he's upset with me, and I don't know what's going on at the time, and and uh, he says, well, I heard you're in the mix to get the Oklahoma City job, you know, and I I, I hadn't even heard anything at the time, and uh, you know, I get off the phone with him, and literally about ten minutes later, the athletic director from Oklahoma City calls me. And I don't know how he knew before I even knew. And so I take the call and they had a late opening. Uh, their coach took a division one job up at Oakland. Um, so I go down and I interview in Oklahoma City uh, later that weekend. And I get hired on October 15th. And uh, I get cleared at four o'clock by HR. And at 4.05, I have my first practice. 
And so there was about four days, you know, where we're waiting on HR paperwork. So all I'm doing is watching Synergy. You know, I can't be with the team, can't do anything at a time. And I'm memorizing names on the roster. Wow. So finally get cleared to have that first practice. I'm going, okay, I'm at least going to know their names. And and because we're, we're two weeks away from having our first game when I take that job. And so I start running practice and I start by doing some easy shell stuff. And, you know, it kind of, I'm telling a kid, hey, uh, Jonathan, get over here. And he looks at me and goes, it's John. And I, and I said, okay, you know, I, I just memorized the roster. Yeah. So they're calling, uh, you know, one kid, Casa. And I'm going, there's not even a Casa on the block. <laughs> his name was Caleb House. And then they're calling another kid, Jeff. And I'm going, there's not even a Jeff. And uh, his kid was named Lou Dunbar. And they, they were he really shot the ball well. So instead of calling him Steph Curry, they would always call him Jeff Curry. And so, uh, so I don't know any of this. And I'm trying to have practice my first day. And and uh, I'm going, what did I just do? You know, and so then the very next day, the preseason polls come out. And uh, we're picked probably the lowest in school history at the time. Because Oklahoma City is a storied program. Hmm. They won six national titles. I mean, it, it's just an unbelievable program. And... I'm just going, what did I just do? You know, I said, this is my first head job. I'm 30 years old. And I said, I'm going to get fired. I said, expectations <laughs> here are unbelievable. You walk in the gym, there's 70 plus national championship uh, banners in the rafters from all sports. Wow. And uh, here we are picked one of the lowest ever. And we played ugly that year. We walked the ball up the floor. I mean, we were not talented at all. Um, we ran sets, but we were very defensive that year. We just, we had to play ugly. And we finished second in the league and make the national tournament. I have no clue how. And, uh, you know, we go to the national tournament and we play the number four team in the country. They are leading the nation in scoring at 98 a game, Mid-America Nazarene at the time. And we are obviously not leading the nation in scoring at that stage. We're walking the ball up the floor. But and this is kind of a side note. And I know I'm giving you a lot on this very first one, but Good. I uh, – I ran a transition defensive scheme that came from the nineties and there was a famous coach back in the day, Jim Seward, and he ran a high octane offense and he was in the Lone Star and Rick Cooper was a young defensive coach at West Texas A&M and they were in the Lone Star and they were uh, Jim Seward's team scoring over a hundred plus a game back then. And they were trying to figure out how to beat them. So they came up with this transition defensive scheme. Well, I had to be really good defensively that year, and I knew we couldn't score a lot, so I decided to put that scheme in for that year. So here we are 30 years later. The assistant for Jim Seward is the head coach at Mid-America Nazarene. Then here I am, the head coach at Oklahoma City. So it was that same offensive scheme versus that same defensive scheme, and we go to overtime 70 all. And uh, we end up losing the game, but I was just like, it worked though. Yeah. yeah it worked, you know. And so, anyways, had a had an unbelievable time at Oklahoma City, had four really good years there. Um, my wife, who's also in coaching, she, at the time, uh, she played college basketball. Uh really, she's who you should have on the podcast, probably. Uh she uh I saw that in your notes. I was like, that that's 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 cool. She won three conference titles, you know, as a player, went to an elite eight. Uh she GA'd, she coached. That's when we started dating, is when she uh was a second year grad assistant and uh, got into high school coaching. And so when we went to Rogers, she was coaching in high school that, at Owasso High School in Tulsa. And when I got the Oklahoma City job, there wasn't a women's assistant. 
And that women's assistant knew uh, her coach from college. So he called her and they said, oh, yeah, Megan will be great. So she gets on at Oklahoma City. Well, Megan wins a national title her second year uh, as an assistant coach at Oklahoma City. And then their national runner up her fourth year. And so then we had our, our son, our only son, and we kind of looked at each other and said, hey, we can't both coach in college at that stage. So we go to Northwestern Oklahoma State. A really good friend of mine, Brad Franz, is the athletic director there, uh, takes a shot on me. You know, he uh, hires me out of Division II school, which is the level I wanted to be back at, uh, you know, and we both decide, hey, this is probably what's going to be best for our family because it got my wife out of coaching as well. Uh, she ended up getting into administration there and became an assistant AD there. And, you know, I take Northwestern at a crazy time. We have my first year um, inherit a program that that uh, had won eight games. I think we win 10 my first year. And now I'm ready to make changes and COVID hits. Yeah. So we, you know, take the team through COVID, which was really hard. Get out of COVID. We bring two kids back. They let us overhaul the roster. Signed about 14 kids, Jordan Franz and I do. Uh, he was our associate head coach, and he was actually athletic director's son. And uh, Jordan was unbelievable. Uh, um, I'm telling you, recruiting and with the guys. And it was just me and him, and we go to work. And uh, we're trying to sign guys. And, uh, you know, Northwestern's in Alva, Oklahoma, 6,000 people, uh, two hours from any major city at all. And, and, and it's just hard to recruit to at times. And to me, recruiting is about relationships. So mm. we just put our heads down and we build a team and somehow win 20 games that year and Angelo State opens up, you know, and my eyes had always been set on Angelo State because uh, my sister came here in 2000, graduated, got married, never left. Oh, wow. spent the last 15 plus Christmases in San Angelo. And uh, so the job opens and my AD calls me right away and says, you're going after that job, aren't you? And I said, I, I have to. Uh, so the day I get hired here, my parents actually built a house here and retired here five weeks before I got the job. So I got mom, dad here. I got my sister here. I've got everybody in San Angelo. So it was no brainer for me to want to be at Angelo State. And it was a terrific program. And, you know, I was taking over for Cinco Boone, who was a friend of mine, and he's now at Abilene Christian Coaching. And you know, Cinco had won so much here and Beard before him and Fred Reich before him. And you just kind of go through the history of Angelo State. And there's been a ton of success here. And it was a place I wanted to be because I think it's one of the best jobs in the country for this level. Uh, but also because my family was here. Yeah. And, so, you know, I tell people all the time, like, there's no unique path to get to where you want to be at. And the whole time, my wife and I, I couldn't tell you how many times we'd be in a car and we'd talk like, where do we need to go to get to Angelo State? You know, because we knew we wanted to be here. And that's what made this thing so special for us uh, when we got it. And, you know, I tell my staff all the time, there, there's no true path. I mean, just look at me. I didn't play. You know, I didn't do it. I've just tried to work. I mean, that's been my biggest thing is you know, I want people to work and I want people that work for me to work hard. And that's why I've always appreciated the assistance I've had because I've been blessed with the people I have had on my staff because they have been tremendous workers. And, uh, you know, they're the reasons and the players are the reasons. I mean, that's why I'm at where I'm at today is, mm. you know, you surround yourself with great people. And, you know, we try to do that in recruiting and we try to do that with our staff. And I think if you do that, then you have a chance to be successful. And so for me, I've been fortunate. I've been surrounded by uh, really good people from my grad assistant year all the way till today, you know, it's just, I've been surrounded by, 
incredible people. And, you know, I think you learn from everybody. And it doesn't matter if, you know, you're a head coach, you're the grad assistant, you're a player. I think we all learn from each other. And, you know, you'll, I even still to this day, I'll, I'll learn from some of our players, you know, and I'm, I'm not afraid uh, for them to come in the office and talk to me about certain things and learn from them. And, and my assistants come in with ideas and, you know, we'll take pieces of, of things that they bring to the table, you know, and I don't claim to be an expert at this. I'm never going to, you know, I, I, I always tell people there's two types of coaches and, you know, one type to me in college, I think you, you hear people say, oh, he's got really good players, but he's not a very good coach. And then you'll hear, oh, he's a really good coach, but he doesn't have very good players. And I tell people all the time, give me the players. You know, I, I think this is about the players. If you have good players, uh, you know, they're the ones that make you look good. And we've been very, very fortunate to have good players over the years and, and good assistant coaches. Coaches, the Jamoti podcast is powered by Bology. Manage and measure your players' skill development and increase accountability year-round utilizing the Bology app. Boost inter-squad competition with drills backed by the National High School Basketball Coaches Association, including a 40-shot Bology skills assessment. Please visit Bology.com teams for information on how you can provide this resource for your team. Man, really appreciate you sharing that, your story, your journey to get to where you are. It's really cool to see the path and, and how you always wanted to be here, how your family's there. And one thing that jumped out at me, and and I wrote this down is that you, early on you didn't care about what you're asked to do. You're willing to do anything, yep. I, and I think it's a great attribute to have for our our players. And and really, I don't care what level you get to, but if you can keep, hold on to that mentality of I'm not too big or I'm not too important to do any job that's necessary, you know, where I work it, within our program. I would imagine that that mentality you had to write those letters, to get on somewhere, to and for years to really, like you said, you're a glorified manager. That's what you felt like. and But to have the mentality of, I don't care, I'll do it with excellence and the best, I would imagine that's kind of created, you know, the person that you are today. There's no doubt, you know, when I when I took that Oklahoma City job and I, I told you October 15th, I mean, the date is crazy in itself. And I don't advise anybody to take it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, when I got hired, there was two part time assistants there. And because uh, I got so, there late, you know, they got retained, but they were truly part time assistants. They both had jobs. Uh, they were really only there for practice. And so I remember we're about halfway through the season and it's after practice. And I always, uh, after practice, I always hang around and I'm in the locker room and, uh, you know, to me again, it's, it's about relationships. So, you know, I'm, I'm in there cutting up with the players and everything else, but I remember I'm pushing the laundry cart, you know, into the laundry room to do the laundry because we didn't have managers, you know, and I didn't have any assistants. There were two part-time guys and they had to take off to go to work. And so, you know, I did the laundry every day. And so we're about halfway through the season that year. And, you know, I'm a head coach. I'm a 30-year head coach and uh, or 30-year-old head coach. And I pushed the laundry in, uh, into the laundry room and they walked by and they stopped. And they said, coach, you're doing the laundry? And I just laughed. And I said, well, how do you think it's been getting done? Who do you think has been doing it? You know? and Magic. So, you, know, you know, I didn't care. To me, it was. I thought it was so awesome that I was a college head coach, you yeah. know, and so I don't care what I had to do. It, I knew I was going to do anything in my power to be successful. And to me, if that, that means doing the laundry, then I'm going to do the laundry. You know, it, it, I didn't care at that stage. It was, hey, what can I do to help my team be successful? What can I do to help my players be successful? And, 
you know, if part of that's doing the laundry, then great. I'm going to do the laundry. I, I, I didn't care because to me, uh, you know, I'm going to do anything in my power. And I've just always been like that since I started in this business. And to this day, and, and I want people that understand that is, uh, you know, you should you should be willing to do whatever to help a team. You know, we tell our players that all the time. So why wouldn't we do the same as coaches then? You know, why wouldn't we be willing to sweep the floor when it needs uh, to be swept and, you know, wipe sweat spots off the floor when it needs to be wiped up? Why wouldn't we be willing to do uh, the same things if we're asking so much of our players? I love that appreciation that you have for for coaching. I feel I feel that way, too. You know, being at a, a small private school in Dallas-Fort Worth, I just love the fact that I get to go out to second period athletics. We only get 43 minutes a day, which I'm actually very thankful for that. There's a lot of places that don't have an athletic period, you know, so having that attitude of gratitude for what you have, understanding that somewhere, some somewhere, some other place, someone else has it worse, right? Or they wish they had what we had. But I, I get that same feeling when I go out to second period athletics with these guys is I, I just can't believe I get to do this. I don't think it matters the level that you're at or the type of players, whether they're college or high school, high school players like mine, that none of them really, most of them don't have aspirations to play. I think the that's the goal is for us not to lose that love and appreciation for what we do. I tell our guys and, you know, my, my, my staff, this is, I, I think I'm at, the best place there is. I mean, I, there's not another school like to me, you know, and I, when I was at Northwestern, I treated Northwestern like it's Duke. You know, when I was at Oklahoma city, I treated North Oklahoma city like it was Duke. And to me, you know, when I walk up to our gym every day, I'm just in amazement of this place that <clears throat> one, I made it here, you know, that's the one thing, but two, just <laughs> how great a place this is. Yeah. And, you know, I've told my staff, if I ever lose that feeling when I'm walking up to our arena every day, then I don't want to do this anymore hmm. but because that's what it's been for me is, you know, when I, when I walk into the arena that I'm working at or the gym that I'm working at or whatever, it's, you know, I'm proud to be at the place that I'm at. And I think, you know, I tell guys this all the time, you got to be where you're at. And we tell our people, you know, our players, our staff, we want to pour into the university, you know, I want to do everything we can. And so for me, the fact that, you know, it's still like a shiny new toy for me walking into our gym every day, you know, cause that's how it was. And you could probably remember when you first got that job, how fired up you are. And, and I want to hold on to that feeling. Cause I think that's the feeling that makes you work that hard is, you know, you worked that hard to get to where you're at. Well, why are you going to stop now? Why are you going to stop that work now? Shouldn't you work even harder now that you got what you've actually been wanting to get for so long? And, uh, you know, that's what I want from, from our players as well is, you know, you've, you've worked however long, you know, since you were a kid to get an opportunity to play college basketball. Yeah. So now why would all of a sudden you not work as hard? Why would you not spend the time in the gym getting shots up? Why would you not uh, work as hard as you can in the weight room when it's time to put into the weight room? You know, why would you shortcut yourself now all of a sudden when you've put in years of work to get to where you're at? You know, because not very many kids at our level, uh, a lot of times are they getting here just because of talent. There had to be some work ethic there uh, to get to where they're at right now. And and for me, you know, those are things I try to help remind our guys is to, you know, we want our guys in the gym, put in the work, you know, and put in, you know, and you've heard so many cliches. And, I, you know, I've listened to your podcast and I, I hear really sharp coaches and smart coaches and, and uh, you know, they quote all these people and coaches. And, and I'm just not one of those guys. I don't have a bunch of 
uh, neat coaches. You know, I don't, I don't have a hashtag or anything like that. You know, I've just, I'm not that person, you know, for me, uh, we tell our guys like there's two things that's important to me. And they were the same things that were important to Rick Cooper when I was working for him uh, all those years ago at West Texas A&M. And it was, you're going to play hard and you're going to play hard while you're tired. And if we can figure out how to do those two things, and I always tell him, hey, that second thing, it's going to take you some time to figure that out. Mm. If, if we can figure those things out as players, then I'll get out of you what I need to get out of you as a player. Uh, you know, there's so much more that goes into it. Uh, you know, and I know we're going to talk about some other things too here uh, in a bit as well. But, you know, to me, you got to have that drive and that work ethic. You know, and we ask that in recruiting. Like I'll ask coaches, uh, when we're getting guys, and I don't care if they're portal guys, high school guys, junior college guys, like, you know, how much are they in the gym? You know, do they get shots up? You know, are you having to drag them to the gym? Because if I got to motivate them to do those things, then I'm probably not the right coach, you know, for those kids. Because I need guys that are going to be in the gym. I want to yeah. hear the ball bouncing, you know, in, in the gym, knowing people are getting work up, knowing people want to do their part to help our team succeed. Because I know I'm going to do my part as a coach. I think you're a great example of the fact that you don't have to have a great or a long player's resume to be a, a great coach and, and to move up and to get to higher levels. Because I think one, I think that's what a lot of people think is for you to become a great coach, you need to have this playing career to fall to to think back on all his experiences. But I think there's a misconception there that great players or people that have played are instantly great coaches. I think you see it all the time where maybe there's even more of a disconnect between guys that have played, you know, at high levels, almost like they don't understand or they can't even put themselves in their players' shoes. Uh, they don't have that um, understanding, I guess. But I love the fact that you you really do show that if you love the game and you're willing to work hard, man, you can make this happen. I would imagine, and you kind of alluded to it a little bit with the kind of guys you look for and what the questions you ask with recruiting, but that your your story, your journey really affects the culture of your program. And so in your opinion, how does culture drive performance? But also I'd love for you to go into a little bit of what yours is like. You know, I uh, culture and you hear so many people say it's such a such a buzzword. And I don't really use the word culture in our in our yeah. life, you know, and I think you got to have a standard and I think you got to have expectations. And then I think you got to hold kids accountable to that. Um, but the but the question I always want answered and want known is when someone watches my team play. You know, what do they think of that team? You know, what do they see? Because that's to me really what culture is, you know, and and before I, you know, keep diving into that and I'm going to tell you just, you know, over the years how I've formulated some thoughts and stuff with just various experiences. But uh, I remember when I was an assistant, we were on the road in Colorado playing a D2 school and we had a brand new team, we had a bunch of new guys that year. And it's one of, you know, it's opening weekend classic that we're in and and we have a kid take a charge, big play, fast break. He takes a charge, uh, slides into the backstop. You know, as he took the charge, official actually made the correct call, uh, which was good, you know, because we don't, we don't see that all the time. But uh, on the film, when we went back and we we're watching the tape, he takes the charge and our four players are walking away from him. And three players from the other team help him up, help our own player up. 
And I just remember being so frustrated watching that because in my head and, and, and when I showed it to our head coach, he felt the same way as, you know, what kind of team are we right now that, uh, you know, our own players aren't even one, they're not celebrating success. Cause mm-hmm. that was a you know, charge is a big time play in college basketball. And I mean, I don't care what level it is a yeah. charge is a big time play, but two, we don't have players running over there and picking their own teammate up. And so, you know, when someone sees our team play, that's, you know, what are they seeing? You know, and on that day, they didn't see probably what we had envisioned as a staff, our team to be. So what what was our culture that day? You know, and I, I don't know the answer to that. And so, but we knew we had to fix it at that stage. You know, we we knew we had something to fix. And so, you know, now that I've I've gotten older and I, and I use that as an example now is that's what it makes me think, what do I want people to see when they see our team play? You know, and to me, it starts with a culture of toughness. You know, I want people to think our teams are tough and, you know, they're only going to see the things on the court right now, but if they're tough on the floor, you know, I want them to be tough minded people because adversity is going to hit even in life. And so are they, are they going to be tough in life as well? And so, you know, we, we talk about toughness and so I'll, I'll use the word because since you used it, I'll, I'll use it as, is, you know, we want a culture of toughness to start. I want tough Coach, people. first of all, I'm going to cut you off right there. I don't really enjoy the word culture either. I, I, and and there's a legendary coach from Coach Fitch. He was at Birdville High School for 30 years, retired. And I asked him the question. He's like, he's like, you know, 15, 20 years ago, we didn't even use that word, but it's always been there. Like it's always been around. And so I also would rather say standards, pillars the way that we show up every day. So coach, I don't want you to be throwing that word at me. Like I'm the one who loves that word. So to me, it starts with a culture of, of toughness. Yeah. And, uh, I want my team to be the toughest team on the floor, you know, physically and mentally. Like I, I want us to be tough and, and we define that. I think you have to be able to define it. You have to hold kids accountable to that. Uh, today's our first day of class here today. And, uh, you know, we, we met last night in the locker room and we had a quick meeting again today. And, uh, you know, I'm talking and trying to get them ready because we can't start until the fourth class day. And, you know, when we start, I'm, I'm trying to get our returners because uh, this is my second year here now yeah. to help teach our new guys. And, you know, last year, because everybody's new, my staff is new, my players are new. So I'm having to teach everything. So now I'm going, holy cow, I got, you know, 10 assistant coaches now because I got returners that can help teach it. But. You know, to me, I don't allow guys to grab their knees in practice because to me, it shows a sign of weakness and, uh, you know, someone being tired. And to me, it's mental, like it's mental toughness, just not grabbing your knees. And so if a guy grabs their knees in practice, then we'll just get on the line because I'll say, well, we must not be in good enough shape, uh, you know, at that stage. And so early our returners will help police uh, our new guys, you know, for that. But that just to me, it's I think you got to have small things like that that can help define it as well, besides just things that you talk about uh, as well. You know, I want a culture of unselfishness. You know, we we like moving the ball. I want to share the basketball. Okay, well, that's unselfishness. All right, well, if you help your teammate up when he's on the ground, that's being unselfish. Uh, we were fourth in the country last year in community service. That's unselfish, you know, so – when you're talking about culture, I think it's not just the basketball piece of it. It's it's the everything that encompasses a program, you know. Mm-hmm. And so we talk about being unselfish. 
you know, we are talking about giving back to our community because I always tell them, hey, we're going to give back to a community that gives to us. And, you know, the challenge at Angelo State, uh, when I got here and it's something Coach Boone told me and something Chris Beard told me the day he called me to congratulate me because he coached here as well, um, is attendance. They all talked about attendance. They're like, I, you know, but it's going to be hard. And, you know, it's never been just great and da 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 and And so I convinced our guys last year, hey, if we give back to the community, if we're unselfish, if we give back and we're in the community and doing, you know, they'll come support you. And I didn't know if they would or wouldn't, you know, but I'm just trying to create the culture then of being unselfish, of giving back. Well, we led the conference in attendance last year, you know, and, and I, don't nice. know, I don't know if it was the first time ever or first time in a long time, but we led the league in attendance. And I truly felt that because our guys gave back to the community, the community gave back to us. And so that was a way we could teach unselfishness besides just passing the basketball, you know, yeah. I want to be unselfish. I want to make the extra pass when it's time to make the extra pass. Uh, I want to make the right basketball play when it's time to make the right basketball play. Uh, if you don't, you're going to hear about it and we're going to correct it because that goes back to accountability uh, when you're creating that culture. And I don't think you can ever let up on that stuff. You yeah. know? And, and that's the hard part when you are creating uh, a quote unquote culture is the accountability part. Uh, I think there's a lot of good coaches out there and, uh, uh, coaches that, hey, they listen to a bunch of podcasts, they uh, they watch a bunch of tape, they go to clinics, and they're really basketball sharp, but maybe they're not as successful coaching-wise. They may know their stuff, but they're, they're not getting the success. And to me, are they holding their kids accountable? They know it, but are they making them do it? You know, yeah. and I think accountability goes into that so much. And so for us, you know, we have so many things, and I'm giving you examples of, you know, grabbing your knees or doing community service and you know, making the extra pass. And those are things we make our guys do. You know, we're going to make you make the extra pass. Uh, we're going to make you, uh, right now, if a kid falls on the ground in our program, uh, you know, like we had our guys, we're very fortunate. And this is part of us being a really good division too, is we were able to have our whole team here for summer too. Hmm. And so when the guys were playing pickup this summer, uh, you know, and this was the returners. This, is, this doesn't have to do with me anymore is, when someone fell on the ground and pick up, the whole team goes and picks them up. And if they're not on the court, they still go and get a touch. And uh, and that's something that we started a year ago. But now it's carried on. So I can say, hey, that's part of our culture now uh, because it's carried into it. And, and to me, that's something that's unselfish. You know, we don't allow our guys to challenge our guys negatively or speak to them negatively on the floor. Yeah. So I, we always say, you know, I'm going to be that person. and. So we don't allow them to say things, you know, ridiculous things to each other. I always tell them, like, hey, if your teammate turns it over, you're going to run over, you're going to pat them on the rear, and you're going to say, hey, let's get it back. You know, and if they miss you, uh, you know, on a pass, there's a, there's a right and wrong way to say that. So, you know, we're always trying to help kind of that stuff as well, because I think to me when you're talking about being unselfish, the hard thing is putting self aside. And so I may be mad about that turnover that you just had, but if I run over there and pat you on the rear and say, hey, let's get it back, then it goes back to team again. And that helps that kid understand, okay, I don't need to focus on the bad play. And then it also helps a kid shake it too, you know, like a kid that just turned it over or a kid that uh, maybe airballed a shot or whatever it might be or, or made a really bad play. Uh, you know, just hearing his teammates say, hey, you're okay, goes a long ways. And yeah. I think those selfish acts 
And so, you know, those are kind of things uh, that we do. And, and, you know, it's one of the things I said, uh, you know, when I took this job and I interviewed for this job and then I did the press conference and I heard uh, Coach Wells, that's the former football coach at Texas Tech. And I'm, I'm a Texas Tech grad, so I'm a huge tech football fan. <laughs> Oh, you're from Baylor, so sorry. We stole your coordinator. It's okay. It's I believe, okay. I don't know if you follow him or not. Unbelievable. I love him. But anyways, uh, Matt Wells said, hey, we're going to love our guys hard. And that's what we do in our program. You know, and to me, that's also the accountability part. I mean, we coach our guys hard. We push them. We challenge them. But we have a relationship with them. You know, our guys know, hey, we're going to love on them, you know, uh, and we're going to take care of them. We're going to we're going to be in the locker room cutting up with them after a hard practice. And and I try to get guys to understand, hey, when practice is over, man, it's over. I'm done, too. You know, and I, I don't carry it with me, and I try not to carry it with me. I try to just leave it in practice yeah, because it's hard time to fix stuff, you know. And and so when, when we're talking culture, you know, I can't go around and be mad at a kid all day if I'm talking about being unselfish to them. You know, I got to be able to put self aside. Because now I got to go back to being a leader. You know, I got to go back to being a coach, being someone that loves them, being someone that helps them uh, in that. So uh, I think a lot of it goes back on us, too, is like if you want that culture to be a certain way, then you and your staff have to be that certain way. You know, you can't say you want certain things in that locker room, but then you're doing something differently as a coach. And I think you see that from time to time with with certain coaches. You know, yeah. it's if I wanted to be really good at defense. I can't just say, hey, Matt, we're going to be really good in defense and then never work on it and just do shooting drills all day. You know, it's just not going <laughs> to – what are we doing to work on it? You know, yeah. what are we doing? And, and so that's where, to me, when you set standards, when you have expectations, but then you hold them accountable, I think those are things that help build culture, and then that culture bleeds on the floor. And so when you watch our team on game night, if you see a guy hit the floor, you're seeing four guys sprint over and pick them up on game night. You know, you're seeing if someone makes a big play, the bench and everybody else is celebrating success, you know, and, and part of the question of how do you create that? You know, what do you do to create that? You know, that, that's probably the part B of this question. Sure. That you had. And, and, you know, when I was at Northwestern, I told you we took over an eight win team. But I mean, the previous coach had won 20 games the year before. So in my mind, I said, hey, it can be done. Somebody's done it here before. And so. You know, now you're taking over an eight-win team, and then we win 10, uh, and we had to keep that team, and we brought in a few players, and we go from eight to 10, uh, which was the lowest I'd ever won. So that was hard for me, too. But, okay, now how do you create that culture that you're trying to create? What do you do? Uh, these kids haven't won. And so when we built that team to win 20 games my last year, and we had to recruit all those players, okay, we recruited guys from winning programs because I think teaching how to win – is very difficult sometimes to kids as opposed to getting kids from winning programs that have already been taught those things. We got that. But then when we were in our preseason, now you're going to laugh at this. Uh, that year, every Friday in our preseason, we celebrated success. We went in the locker room like we had won, and we started saying we're going to win the week, and then we're going to celebrate that on Friday. So Friday in the preseason, we put the music on, and we celebrated like we had just won a game on Friday and I was trying to get them to understand the feeling and how it felt, uh, you know, to find success and what it was like to be a good team and what it was like to be rewarded for the hard work that you put in for that week of preseason. Cause I, it may have been a really hard week in the preseason, but okay, let's go celebrate it now. You know, you made it, 
let's celebrate it. And, uh, you know, and I think that we talk about that all the time. I think you hear a lot of coaches say celebrate success uh, and they talk about it. But again, I, I'm one of those. Well, let's figure out how we can get yeah, some let's practice it. Yeah. yeah. So we did that there. And, uh, you know, so I wasn't shocked when we won 20 games that year because I thought we did the things uh, to do it. Coaches, the Jamoti podcast is powered by Shoot360. The future of basketball has arrived in Dallas-Fort Worth. Shoot360 combines the latest sports technology with the fundamentals of basketball skill development. The result is a -a one-of-a-kind video game-like basketball program designed to improve your shooting, dribbling, and passing. Visit Shoot360DFW.com to learn more and register for your free one-hour workout evaluation. Shoe 360, the future of basketball is here. You know, uh, I'm not a book guy. I told you that. I'm a podcast guy. Uh, I got a four-year-old at home, and he he runs around everywhere, so it's kind of hard to read. Uh, but but I, I, I brought a book. It's called uh, High Hopes by Gary Barnett and Coach Cooper that I, I worked for at WT. Uh, when I took that job and – you know, it was a difficult job going in and, and just I've never had to kind of figure out how to win like that. Yeah. You know, get just one eight. And obviously we want to, as coaches, do better uh, if we can. And so he tells me, hey, read this book. And uh, I want you to read it going into this year. And that was the year we won 20 games. So I read the book going into that season because he kept telling me about this book. And uh, I'm like, all right, so. Gary Barnett won a national title at Colorado as an assistant coach for football, and he takes the Northwestern job in the Big Ten. Uh, and, and at the time, they were just one of the worst programs in the country. And he blurts out when they introduce him as a coach to all the students and everybody else, uh, I'm going to take Purple to Pasadena. And he basically says, I'm going to take Northwestern to the Rose Bowl. And then when he left that, he just says, man, how am I going to get there now? And so he uses analogy of a puzzle. And, and I, that's what I'm going to share right now uh, is when I'm talking culture here. I think we all know what we want our culture to be. So when you buy a puzzle, you know what that puzzle is because you see it on the face of the cover. But when you open the box, what is it? It's chaos. Yeah, it's a mess. Yeah. Okay, so then how can you build it to that picture? You know, you start by building the borders. And what do those borders represent? You know, and for me, when I took uh, took that job and then when I took this job, I talked to my staff about that. And it starts by building your staff. It starts, you know, for us in college with recruiting uh, and you start labeling the border of how you want to accomplish that puzzle, you know, to become the picture that you want it to be. And so this book was really good for me to read because he fails at it first, you know, and, and he talks about building that program. Because he has a bad year his first year, has a bad year his second year, thinks the third year they're turning the corner uh, and they're like three and three. And he thinks, OK, we're, we're about to turn the corner. And then they lose like six straight games and they go into that fourth year and he, and he has a senior in that third year team. And that senior tells him, Coach, we were part of the problem. Our mm-hmm. class was. And now that we're gone, you're, you're going to get it going. And that fourth year, he takes them to the Rose Bowl wow. and that class left. But it was just him just continually build that culture, build that culture, build that culture. And when it got set, because he wasn't changing what he was doing, you know, but that culture got set, that success came from it. And so I I just thought it was a really good book. I took a lot away from it, uh, you know, and I I shared it with my staff and and just kind of the things I took away. 
on, hey, how are we going to build this at Northwestern? How are we going to build this at Angelo State? Uh, when we got here, uh, it was such a chaotic time with the portal. Yeah. I took the job here, and there was two guys on the roster, and the rest were in the portal. And so I just, you know, hey, you go back to the what am I doing here? So we spent the first two weeks re-recruiting guys back into our program. And so I lose two weeks of regular recruiting because of that. So now we're behind the eight ball. And so now it's, okay, I need a bunch of players in my first year at Angelo State. And, you know, and they're, they're I don't want to say pressure because I didn't feel any, but I also felt like I'm in this great job. I'm gonna, Cinco did such a great, they just won 20 plus games, went to the national tournament. I'm going to win five games my first year and get fired. You know, that, that's how I felt. And so when we're recruiting, we're like, okay, we need some winners, you know, and, and the, we had the job six days. And I'm telling you, I didn't know what I was doing, but there was a guy on our team and I said, we are up in our recruiting list. And I said, we got to have him. I said, I don't know what, what we're doing. I don't know what this team's going to look like, but we have to have him. And he was a division one transfer that won a national championship in junior college. And he was just a winner. I mean, he's just one of those kids. He does everything you ask. He's a point guard. He's a leader. And so here I am. I don't know what we're doing, but I told our staff, we got to get him. And so my assistant and I, we do three campus tours three days in a row. We don't even know the campus. You know, we got to have a visit now. I'm flying this kid in. I can't even point at buildings and tell him <laughs> what. So we do these campus tours. We bring the kid in and uh, we just sell him a vision, you know, and, and I think in recruiting and coaching and your culture, you know, it's like that puzzle. You have a vision and we're trying to get him to buy in and believe into our vision. Yeah. Uh, and that kid does, he, he buys into our vision and a couple of days later he signs with us. And I felt good. Cause I was like, okay, we got a winner. And we got guys that's in the program. They've won before. We've added a key piece in, in him as a winner. who's won a national championship. So he's won at a high level. He knows what it takes. Now we got to go get some more winners. So, you know, we did that. We pieced it together. And we had an awesome season, and I'm telling you, it's it's one that that I dang sure did not expect. I can tell you that right now, because I it, it was an unbelievable ride. But I'll tell you the hard part, and this and I, and I know I'm rambling for a while too. No, you're good. But when we're talking about culture, I think you start getting into vision, which leads down another road as well. And I just got done talking to my team about this last night in our first meeting. Is I thought last year because it was my first year. I got all these new players. I got a new staff. And we're talking buy-in. I think as coaches, we all talk about buy-in. Yeah. It takes success for people to buy in. Hmm. We, had to, we had to win games. And then kids really started buying in to the style of play, uh, to our identity, to what we wanted to be. They started really buying into our vi vision. So the trick to me now, we're starting a new year. We finished second in the league. And, and you know, I asked them, I said, if we would have bought into that vision, bought into that, hey, we're buying in early to that identity, would we have finished first in the league? Because it took success for our guys to truly buy in. And so to me, it's, okay, how can you create belief without evidence? And I think when you're talking culture, that's what it is, is you're trying to create belief without evidence. And you're trying to get guys to understand, hey, we can be tough. We can be unselfish. You know, those are the characteristics for ours. Uh, we can give back. You know, we can be great people. We can be great students. Uh, you know, we try to challenge our guys uh, academically, athletically, socially. Uh, we try to touch just a little bit spiritually. 
Uh, every Wednesday for us, we do a devotional. You know, we have uh, our FCA chaplain. Uh, he comes in and does a 15-minute devotional on Wednesdays. And, and I tell our guys, like, hey, we're going to do this. And I don't know if it's important to you right now. But as you get older, one day this is going to be important. And I'm hoping the fact that we expose you to it. Yeah. Help it become more important later. Yep. And so we try to at least touch on the spiritually as well, uh, you know, in that. But all we're trying to do is create belief without evidence, you know. And I feel like if you can do that, then you can find early success. And to me, it's like any season. If you get off to a great start, you're probably going to have a pretty good year, barring an injury or something like that. So, you know, I think that's the challenge for all of us as coaches is, is how do you create belief without evidence? You know, why does it take winning games uh, to create that? And so what else are you doing? Are you doing community service? Are you giving back? You know, are holding kids accountable? Uh, you know, and I think you can find wins. I think you can celebrate success without the win. You know, that's what we yeah. practice in the locker room at Northwestern. You know, we didn't have to win to practice celebrating how to win. And so uh, to me, I, I don't know. I know that was a long answer on that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I do think the locker room is very important. I do think your identity of what you want your team to be and how you want people to view it. Uh, is important. I do think if you understand the picture of that puzzle, then as a coach, if if you understand what you want it to be, it's easier to get to that point. A lot to unpack there. And for somebody that doesn't like the word culture, you really did a great job of, but I, I understand what you mean by that. And and I do, I loved, I loved how you shared it. I, I think it's really powerful to connect your standards to be more than basketball connected to something outside of basketball because if it I think players see through that if it's just transactional like do this you'll be a better player we'll win more games have more success but it's just in that moment I don't know maybe you'll get some buy-in like you talked about but man make it make those standards transformational this is gonna not just transform your life but we're gonna affect others lives like that 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 mission is bigger. And I think that's one that people can really buy into. So I, I love that. I do want to go back to toughness because I think a question I've always wondered about, like I'm at a school where 98% of these kids, their lives have been pretty darn good. Not perfect, but the fact that they can be here, they can afford to be here, like not, not a lot of adversity, you know, for the most part. And I've also had teammates in the past, you know, my senior year, one of our, one of our, co-captains he was six eight huge arms you know everybody like everybody thought he should just be this bruiser but man he was our best three-point shooter he had, he really wanted no point of that and people would get on him about his lack of toughness but I just thought man he's our he's our best shooter let's just be happy about that but my my question is 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 toughness just something people have or is there actually something that you can instill in players I think I'm a believer you can instill it in players. Um, I think if you look at our team and our teams over the years, and I think it's all college basketball teams, and I think it's the unique thing about college, um, even going back to when you played, there's so many different types of people that come from different backgrounds in that locker room. And what are you trying to do? You're trying to find a common goal. And for us, it's, you know, I tell them, unfortunately, it's got to be done the way I want it. There's 15 of you. If you try to do it 15 different ways, we're not going to be successful. But if you do it one way, if you do it the Angelo State way, 
then we're going to have a chance, you know. So, but I do think, you know, even in your case, uh, with the type of kids that you have right there, you can instill it. You know, if we're talking basketball, you can do it with basketball. You know, we have uh, drills in our program, and I'm not just talking, hey, we're going to do a tough rebounding drill and try to beat up on each other. Uh, we have drills that mentally challenge our kids, you know, and and again, I I was very fortunate to work at WT for as long as I did with Coach Cooper. He he really impacted um, probably a lot of my thoughts, uh, you know, as I progressed throughout my career. Uh, but we had a drill, and it was called 40-second shutout, and it was a four-on-four drill. And we wouldn't touch that drill until we covered how to guard screens, how to guard ball screens, you know, how to guard on the ball, what we were exactly looking for. Um, but you had to have everything covered. So all the teaching had to be done. And then we'd do 40-second shutout. So it may be a week into practice at that stage. But when that drill started and that 40 seconds rolled and you inbounded the ball uh, and it's a half-court drill to that player, then everything had to be perfect. You know, if uh, your positioning was wrong on the ball, if you're forcing the wrong way, boom, we'd stop it, reset back to 40. Yeah. Days he wanted it to be harder uh, and you're in midline and you weren't in a stance, he'd just stop it. Matt, you're not in a stance. Reset, back to 40. And you would be so tired mm-hmm. in that drill because you're trying to do it right. I mean, you really are. You're locking in. Kids are down in a stance. They're competing at a high level. And then the shot goes up. Well, you forget to rebound. So an offensive rebound comes. Boom, back to 40. You reset it again. Yeah. You'll see mentally kids just start to snap. I mean, you just see it. So then it goes back to the thing we were talking about a minute ago. And and this is, to me, how we help teach some of this stuff is we start challenging the other guys. Why don't you go up to them, pat them on the rear, say, hey, you're okay. You know, are you doing those things in that drill? And are you helping your teammate get through that drill? And then if I got a weak link, and we'll do that at times, we'll put three really good guys out there and a weaker guy out there. Am I going to compete and play even harder to make up for the fact that I have a lesser guy on my team? Yeah. Or we're going to be in this drill for a while. And, and I'm just using that drill as an example. Well, but man. I think you get guys to raise their level. And, you know, that's what we're trying to do when we talk about toughness. You know, I, I'm not talking about going in there and just knocking somebody out and being as physical as you can be. You know, to me, toughness is okay, the game's on the line. When we got to get this stop, is are all five guys going to block out? Yeah, do they all execute, right? Do what they need to do, you know, at yeah. that moment. You know, are they mentally tough enough to understand their assignments and complete it? On offense, are they going to execute? Are they going to screen? Are they going to make the right pass? Are they going to make the right cut? You know, are they going to do those things on offense? Because then that's, to me, toughness as well. And we talk yeah. about toughness on both sides of the ball. And I think a lot of coaches only talk about toughness on defense. Uh, we talk about being tough on offense, you know, or, or are you going to set body to body screens? You know, are you going to touch somebody in a day where the game is changing, where the uh, referees don't want this game to be as physical anymore? But are are you going to are you going to be tough by doing your assignment and going to crash for an offensive rebound? You know, to me, that's toughness. And so we start to define what toughness really is and what it means in our program. And that goes back to accountability. then. Yeah. And so to me. You know, if toughness and you're trying to instill it and it can be as simple as crashing the offensive glass. If you can hold them accountable to that, then all of a sudden you're instilling toughness on the offensive end just as much as you are defense. And and that's why I said to me, a lot of coaches, 
think that toughness just comes on the defensive end yeah. and, and on both ends. We we try to have toughness in our program overall. And and that's why I said it like that. And I didn't just say defensive toughness for us. And, and you know, for us, we want to be good defensively. There's no doubt about it. But I want to be tough on offense. You know, I, I want our bigs uh, to position themselves to run to, you know, we put an X on the floor uh, at the rim and we always say run to the X, you know, run to the front of the rim and spin and pin, go make contact, spin and pin. To yeah. me, that's are you going to veer off and run to the block and not do your job? You know, so I do think you can have toughness on both ends of the floor. And I think if you're holding them accountable, then you're helping instill that into your program. And, you know, I don't think you have to yell and scream and everything else to get that out of them. You can. Uh, at times I do. And, I, you know, I'm an aggressive coach at times. And I don't have a problem admitting that, you know, because we get the right guys in our program that like to be coached. That's why I said we're going to love them hard. Yeah. Uh, but I think if you have a relationship with that player and you show them you care, then you're going to be able to push on them a little bit harder, you know, but I think you coach everybody differently. You know, I don't, we talk about it all the time. I've, I've heard some of your podcasts and I've heard smarter coaches than me even say on your podcast, you can't coach everybody the same. And we try not to, you know, we don't, we don't coach everybody the same. Now we're going to hold everybody accountable. We're going to have a standard. We're going to have an expectation to hold them to those things, but I don't have to coach everybody the same. Man, I do love the idea that toughness isn't just physicality. And I think you're right on the money. I think that's what people think is we've got a tough team. That means they use their hands a lot. They hit people hard. And, well, we do have fouls. So you got to be really smart with the level of physicality that you're playing with. But to me, I do think it can be instilled. And I think it's more of that you set your standards, but you hold their feet to the fire. You like you've been saying, you've been saying you hold them accountable. Where I think you lose toughness is when you allow slippage. When if, if toughness to us is all four guys crashing, everybody but the shooter, and we don't hold them accountable to that, then we're not that tough. We're allowing slippage. And so, yeah, that you're right on the money. I mean, if whether it's you by yourself or you have a couple assistants uh, that around, we are the ones that hold the line because. People naturally, kids naturally, if there's rules in place, they want to see how close. I mean, when kids are little and you say that's hot, they're going to get their hands so close to really see, is it hot? They're going to test those boundaries. So we hold that line. But then going back, I think, a little bit to the celebrations that you've created, I think that's where you reinforce that those standards even more is when they do hold them. When you're holding them to the fire and they come through, man, you celebrate the crap out of that. And it just becomes more and more like they they want to be a part of that way. They want to see that success and it breeds more. So I love what you said about toughness there. I just it becomes contagious. That's right. Yeah. And, and I do think, you know, and when you're talking, you know, whether it's toughness, whether it's, you know, whatever it might be, and we're talking about celebrating success and everything else, I think you got to acknowledge it. You know, I think you, when they do it right, you got to acknowledge it. You got to, you know, we're talking about accountability. And a lot of times accountability is when a kid does something incorrect. Are you fixing it? You know, are you holding, you said feet to their, fire, you know, feet to the fire. But I, you also said, hey, celebrate success. We have to acknowledge when they do it right, because if toughness is, which what we're talking about right now is something you're looking for. They don't know what exactly we're looking for as coaches. So do we have clarity in what we're saying? And, and No doubt. A coach walking up and down the side. We got to be tough today or, or communication. I hear that all the time. We got to talk. We got to talk. Well, what do you really want? Like, do you want mindless chatter? 
You just want them to be like the outfielder, just or the infielders making chance, you know, bad about about hey, bad. like no, no, we want them sp- to know specifically what to say. So I've always asked players, like, what? Why are players quiet? And they'll give me different reasons. And I would say, I the main reason is that they don't truly know what they're supposed to say. So when we, as coaches, when we define it, when we articulate it clearly, then we give them the ability to be great communicators or do whatever we're asking them to do. But to just say things uh, uh, without having those clear standards defined, man, I think you're really going to feel some frish, friction from your players and you're going to get frustrated. They're going to be frustrated, but it all comes back to what we're teaching them. Well, I think uh, you'll laugh, but early, you know, the first few weeks, we're getting ready to kick off here and, you know, you're doing a lot of correcting. I mean, I mean guys are going to screw up. That's just the start of every year. It's ugly basketball. You know, everyone says November basketball is ugly. And uh, so there's a lot of correcting going on. And, and But I have to tell our guys, like, I will stop practice some days. And I will point out that I told one kid, good job, that I did this. that I, And I, I point out my positives to them early in the year because I do think as coaches sometimes – all the player hears is the negative. And yep. to them, correction is negative. And I don't always understand. And that's what I try to communicate that early. Me correcting you is not something negative. You know, it's it's not. It's us trying to get better as a team. And so I have to at times catch myself early in the season. And I will literally stop practice. And I will point out everything positive that I've said when I acknowledge someone's good play whether it's a good pass, you know, you've heard me say it today, you know, so-and-so good pass, so-and-so good charge, so-and-so good blockout, whatever. And I said, but all you guys here is the negative, you know, I try to get them to understand that, Hey, there is positive things being said, but you know, we all know the negative outweighs the positive. And so I do think, you know, when we're talking about reaffirming things, you know, toughness, for example, right now is we also got to acknowledge to them and get them to understand, Hey, I'm telling you when you're doing it right, you know, I'm celebrating it with you. I'm celebrating the success with you when you do it right. You're just thinking right now, because I correct you all the time. I'm only doing it in a negative way. Yeah. I do think that's a fine line. We walk as coaches, uh, you know, sometimes is especially early in the year, because there is so much correction that you lose kids because they just think you're so negative all the time. Yeah. They don't, we don't want our players to feel beat down. And you're right. That line is important that we that we stay on it. So, I, I mean, I don't know. It's just to me, everything we do, there has to be clarity with our kids. And I just think we we overcomplicate it sometimes as coaches. And then if it's overcomplicated to us, then, you know, it is to them. And so how can we just give clarity to our guys? You know, and that's everything we've talked about right now, you and I. And it's been hey, can we define this a certain way? You know, you yeah. talked about. Uh, the 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 question was culture. Okay, well, how are we defining it? What's what's the definition of it? You know, so yeah. you say a lot of people say culture. Oh, man, culture. I I think today's I think today's society because are these players because of the phones, they want to know why. Uh, you and I probably when we were younger just tell me what to do. Yes, sir, I'll do it. I mean, we you and I talked a little bit about the coach that I played for for three years, Dave Bliss. We didn't question him. We just were told what to do. We said, yes, sir. And if we could say yes, sir, and actually do it, our lives were easy. If if not, it went the other way. But I think I think there is more of a players want to know why. And part of the reason is because they can find any answer they want 
in five seconds on their phone. So for us just to come across and say, just do what I'm telling you. Why, coach? Just do what I'm telling you. No, I think the teaching aspect of it has to come through. So like when you talked about we're not going to bend over and grab our shorts, I think you have to explain why. Because if not, they think that bending over shorts is is just weakness or or sometimes coaches will say, you know, I don't want you to bend over because, you know, stand up, you can breathe more. Well, if you watch the last dance, Michael Jordan's own, you know, personal coach trainer told him to bend over and grab his shorts. He said, because you can breathe fine. I want you to rest a little bit more. Like, actually, grabbing the shorts could make your life a little bit easier as a player. But why do we not do it, guys? Because. We don't want to show weakness. Bending over for the majority of players out there makes you look like you're tired. You can't go anymore. So we're not going to rest like that. But the why behind it is huge, right? Well, and that's from day one. And it's something we talked about in recruiting with our guys. It's something we talked about this summer. I completely agree with your statement is we say, hey, we're going to tell you to do things. We're always going to tell you why. And if you don't know why, You come knock on my door and you can ask and I'm going to explain it. I'm never going to make you do something to do it. I always have a reason for asking you to do certain things. And I do think in coaching, when we're talking about clarity a second ago, if kids understand why they're doing something, then it's easier to get them to actually do it. You know, they're not going to be as defiant as times. And they're not actually being defiant on purpose sometimes, you know, they just if they understand it more and, and, you know, it goes to a scout, like we talk about our scout stuff and we hit the scout, you know, film, paper scout, walk. I mean, you name it. We hit it about every different angle you can hit a scout. And the reason why is everybody learns differently. Sure. So if I'm going to hold them accountable to the scout, then I better present the information to them in a way that they understand it. And guess what? Every kid learns differently. So I better present it a bunch of different ways when I'm presenting that scout. And so that's why we do it in so many different ways. But I think it goes back to your statement of if kids understand the why, then it is easy to hold them accountable. And then I also think when you hold them accountable, they're not as frustrated because they clearly know why they messed up. And if no they doubt why I messed up, then they also start learning. Here's how I can fix it. You know, and then I think other teammates can help teach them how to fix it because then maybe especially when there's a common language right other teammates are more willing to jump in when everybody is saying the same thing i think that comes back to our assistants too we got we all have to be careful as a coaching staff of not using four or five different ways to say the same thing we have to have a clear language that our program uses so that, and you, I love the word you keep using, clarity. And that when we have that clarity, I think it allows for correction to not be criticism when they know the why and we're very clear with it. No, and I agree. And, and you know, like last year, uh, again, when we just got here, it's new staff just as much as new players. And the language of what we teach is so important to me because I think as a staff, you have to present a united front. You all have to be on the same page. You all have to use the same verbiage uh, when you're on the court uh, to have that clarity that we're speaking of right now. And so we take so much time early as a staff that we will get together. You know, we plan every practice together an hour before we go out there, sometimes even longer. But especially when I have a new staff, 
we carve out time where we can actually walk down to the floor while we're planning practice and we'll talk about verbiage and we'll talk about, okay, here's how we say this, you know, here's how we say this. And, and I'll even ask my staff, okay, here's what I say and how I've said it. Here's the words that I use. Uh, what have you heard? What do you like? And if it's something that sounds better to me or makes more sense for our guys to understand, then I've got no problem with change. And, and that's where I'm saying, I think as coaches, you also got to be able to step back and go, okay, there may be a better way to do it. Yeah. And I've got to be okay with that. And so, you know, I do think the things that we say, you know, presenting that United front as a staff, having the same verbiage, having verbiage that kids understand, it's important because then as players understand, then players can help players. And this is going to go right back to the culture again, but then you create that player driven locker room. Yeah. And it's funny how it usually always circles back. Like, I don't care what question we're talking about. It does go back. And we'll just say to the standards pillars, how you show up every day of your program. But, you know, for those coaches that might be like me at the high school world where all my coaches are part time, you know, they're coming from jobs that they're full time jobs and they're giving up their their time because they at faith, they love the Lord they love kids and they love basketball, right? Like, so those are the three things I'm kind of looking, oh, and they don't need money. That's the fourth thing. And they have a lot of time. That's the fifth thing. So very small circle, but, you know, they're coming in. And I think one piece of advice that I, I've learned over the years is to allow my part-time assistants for the first few practices of the year to be quiet, like literally just to more observe because I was on a staff, uh, this was more summer ball, years ago where the team had already been going and I got in there and I remember I'm standing there just kind of taking it all in on underneath the basket next to the head coach and he leans over and says, you need to jump in now. <laughs> I remember thinking, what what do I what do you want me to say like what I'm I'm li- I'm learning names I'm what, what scheme term your terminology but so that was to me was a an approach of like it was kind of setting me up for failure setting up me up to to miscommunicate to confuse these players to put us farther back so I, I love I mean I'm a little envious of the time but yeah as a college coach like that's what you guys do so the time that you guys spend that's why I think college coaches you, you guys are some of the best of the best because of the time you spend with your staff and 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 how you develop your what you guys are doing as a program but for us yeah give your assistants a little bit of time to learn the players learn the culture and I want to go into something else coach if you don't mind because you, you I want to add to that real quick I, I want to oh, go add ahead that. yeah you know when uh you know I was applying for this job and they they said hey what does the first 30 days look like and the first thing I said is, I'm going to look, I'm going to listen, and I'm going to lean. And they hadn't heard that before. And they said, what do you mean? And I said, well, I think I, I'm i new here, obviously, if I get this job. You guys know, you guys know how this is supposed to go. And so I'm going to I'm gonna look and see what's going on. I'm going to listen to our players and, and kind of hear, uh, you know, what are they looking for, you know, in a program, how they want this thing to be. And I said, lean, because I'm going to lean on you guys, because you guys are the ones that have been here, you know, as administrators. And, and so I'm going to lean on you guys uh, for advice and, and things like that as well. And, you know, when we're talking about those assistants, uh, you know, and I was an assistant once, you know, and so I, I try to always 
think about what it was like when I was an assistant, you know, and, and that's what I tell our staff all the time. And, and I want them to come in and ask questions, you know, and we say that all the time. And, you know, if I, if I can find an old practice and I can video a, a drill and I can text it to them, or we can talk about it on the floor or in my office, on the board, whatever it is to try to help get them to understand it a little bit, then that makes all our lives better. You know, yeah. but I think one of the things that we also do when we're planning practice, I early with a new staff, I tell them exactly where they're going to stand. And I tell them exactly what their job needs to be in that practice. And I mean, I have a grad assistant who early in the year, I literally have them stand under the basket and we put a big blue line right down midline. And he's just reminding guys to get to midline. That's his job. And he knows exactly what to do. So then he's getting comfortable and talking because, you know, as GAs, I think they're new and they don't know when to talk and they don't know what to say. And I, I think it's our job as coaches. I think as head coaches, we should teach assistants. I think as assistants, we should teach our grad assistants. I think as grad assistants, we should teach our managers. And, and that's how we're going to continue to have even better coaches in this profession because we're taking the time to teach people underneath us. And so for me, like I start our, with our grad assistants with something easy like midline. You know, because I know it's something they know what it's supposed to be. They know where that kid's supposed to be. They can sit there and echo midline, but their voice starts getting heard, you know, and, and our assistants, when I hire them, like we start positioning them on the board. Here's in this drill. I need you here. I need you here. I need a GA underneath the basket. I'm going to be standing over here, but I'm probably going to be all over the place, you know, and, and normally I am all over the place, but they know exactly where they're supposed to be at. And then I'll even say, okay, and we talked about offensive rebounding earlier. I had one assistant. I said, okay, you're going to watch the fours and fives crash. And I tell the other one, you're going to watch the twos and threes crash when the shot goes up. So they're not having to watch all of it. They can focus yeah. on a smaller piece then and there and break it down. And then when we're watching film as a staff together, then I will watch it first a lot of times on my own because I may watch it that evening or whatever it might be. And then when we watch it as a staff, I may point stuff out in that film session to my staff on Hey, you could have done this, or I could have had you over here. This would have helped me more. So you're kind of coaching them up. Yeah. Coaching them just like you do your players. Yeah. If you want to get out of them what you do. And I'm very blessed here. Is, is I feel like we have the best staff in the country uh, with the guys we have. You know, Mark Rutledge, Connor Moore, Grant Makita are uh, the three best I've worked with. And and to me, you know, we talk about success. Uh, that's success in that office right next door to me because – those guys are the ones running this thing right now. And they're great. Uh, they they ask a lot of questions. They want it done the way that I want it done. And the thing that, you know, when I took this job, I told you my parents were living here. Uh, my GA came with me from Northwestern to here. So he's been with me. So he actually knew what was going on. But my two assistants, I mean, we literally, we come down to San Angelo. We're staying at my parents' house for like the first month, month and a half, all three of us. And, and we're bachelors. I mean, we don't have our staff <laughs> here, you know. And so for the first month, we're just getting to know each other, you know, which was awesome to me. And I think, you know, for you, it's a little bit harder when you have part-time assistance to form that relationship. And we're talking about with players, but I think you should have it with your staff as well. That's good. So back to that united front in practice. Like, are you all on the same page? Is your terminology the same? Uh, are you coaching kids in that same direction that I want it done? Yeah. You know? We're spending that time and we know each other. You're going to eventually get to where you you know what I want. I don't even have to say it anymore. And I just think there's so much into that. And that, that makes yours harder. And I, I dealt with the part-time deal at Oklahoma City. And that, it's just very yeah. difficult not there, you know, to plan practice and everything else. You know, and I know our guys would get frustrated because 
that year I took on so much. But I was just like, well, you guys don't even know what I want right now. So, yeah. So but for a micromanager, you know, it's not the worst thing in the world. So, <laughs> but, but I'm very thankful for those guys. And to, to your point, though, I, there's probably more that I can do to direct them, uh, to give them a clear purpose during that practice. So I, I think I needed to hear that. I appreciate that. The Jamoti podcast is powered by Sideline Interactive. Sideline Interactive is the leading manufacturer for high-quality, innovative scoring tables and LED video display boards that help coaches and schools bring more excitement to fans, create huge fundraising opportunities, and make their jobs easier. Visit sidelineinteractive.com to check out their amazing products. One more question before the speed round. So this one, I feel like um, it's interesting to talk with you because, I mean, I would say you're Coach, would you say you're probably halfway through your your coaching career? I mean, you're or are you still feel like you're on the beginning part? Where where would you say you are? Assuming you do this for a long time. That's a great question. You know, um, for me, I told you it's it's exciting for me. And uh, having that team meeting last night, you know, and looking at those kids, uh, it's just it's exciting. The journey we're getting ready to, yeah. to get, and. Uh, I've always told myself when that feeling stops, yeah. when the feeling of walking up to this gym and it being special to me stops, that's kind of when I've told myself I probably need to stop doing it because I pour so much into this and I'm very fortunate. I have a wife that she gets it because she's played, she's coached it and everything else. So she understands how much as coaches we we pour into, you know, our teams and our universities and our athletic departments. And she lets me do my job, you know, and and it's, you know, as we were getting ready for our meeting, you know, yesterday, um, we weren't meeting till nighttime and I'm at the office by one o'clock and she gets that. She understands that, that I'm that's awesome up for that. And, I, and so I'm, I'm very fortunate with that. So, you know, for me, I'm going to do this as long as I can until I, till I get tired of doing it, you know, and I, so I don't have a good answer for that. I think. It's well, OK, a- so let me tell you why I asked that, because the, the question of what would you do differently if you could start over in coaching is typically one that guys that are 30, 40 years into it, you know, they're kind of looking back now. But I do think with your experience and that interesting journey that you have that I'm really excited to hear the answer to this. So what would you do differently if you could go back and start over? So I'm I'm in year 19. Okay, I'll I'll tell you that first off is it's it's year 19 for me and year uh, I believe nine yeah nine as a head coach now, and uh, I just think for me when I when I look back at my path and my journey, uh, you know, and I told you about my wife and stuff and how fortunate I am uh, with her being able to do as much as I want to do and pour in the way I do. You know, I look back and there's not a thing I would change because I don't think I'd be where I'm at. I don't think that I'd be the type of coach I am without the unique journey I've been on. You know, and I think if I look back and I tried to change something, you know, would it lead me being at Angelo State? You know, and I told you that's where I want to be. And so for me, that's a hard question to want to change something. You know, I'm not the the son of a, a famous coach. You know, I didn't play for a big time coach. If you look at my resume, there's no you know, power five coaches on my resume. Uh, you know, I've had to work for what I've wanted. And, uh, you know, and that's why for me, I think that journey has also shaped me as a coach. And I think if I try to change something, then I'm maybe not shaped the way I want to be right now. And yeah, I'm comfortable in my skin. You know, I'm comfortable 
with the way I coach. I'm comfortable uh, with how I treat my players and the relationships I have with those kids. And, you know, to me, I think I told you from the start, um, this is all about them. I mean, the players are the reason I'm here right now. And, and, you know, I want to be able to give back to them and I want, you know, I tell them all the time in 10 years, I'm hoping you're donating back to this program because you had such a great experience playing for us here. And that's a big thing for me. You know, I want them to have a championship experience playing for us. And to yeah. me, that's three and that's winning rings. Uh, you know, and and I'm hoping we can get to a stage where we're winning the ring, but I dang sure know we can get every player in our program graduated, you know. And so I just think when I look at this journey and I look at what I've done, uh, you know, it has been very unique. I don't think there's a lot of people that have a story like I do um, because I just I, I've, I've done it the hard way, you yeah. know. And one thing that's never changed, you know, I was at work at 705 this morning. And I'm I'm still here right now with you, you know, and and I'm always going to be that guy. I'm, I want to be the first one here. I want to be the last one to leave because I want to pour everything into this while I have the opportunity to do it. Yeah, because I also know 19 years ago when I started as a volunteer, I remember how grateful I was for that opportunity because I was smart enough. And I said this to understand the chance I had to be in college coaching. 19 years later, I still understand the opportunity I have and how important it is for me and that I'm going to give it everything I have every single day. You know, I owe it to Angelo State. Angelo State took a chance on me. You know, yeah. President James Reed uh, took a chance on me. And so, you know, why do I do it? It's for them. You know, yeah. it's, I, I want them to know, hey, I hired the right guy. I want them to know that I'm going to work my tail off for them. I'm going to work my tail off for my kids, you know, my players and make this experience as special as possible to them. And all roads for me wanted to lead to Angelo State, you know, and it's, I hope I'm here for 30 years, you know, I hope I'm here as long as they'll allow me to coach here, you know, I, I don't know, we'll see what this year looks like, but, uh, you know, I want to be here as, as long as yeah. they do. That's why I think I'm very unique in that. I think we all have an endpoint to where we go, hey, I want to coach here. And that's different for every coach. Yeah. You know, young coaches right now, it might be, hey, I want to coach at Duke someday, or I want to coach at Kansas someday, or I want to coach at, you know, University of Texas someday. I, I don't know what it is. You know, it may be Cedar Hill, you know, for, for high school coaches. It may be uh, Kimball, you know, and I, I don't know what people want go for. But for me, it was here. And, and I'm one of the unique people that, hey, I had this school in mind where I wanted to be. And I got here, you know, how many people say, hey, I want to coach at this school and they actually get to that school. And, and that's why I say this is such a unique story. Yeah. Yeah. That when you ask that question, I'm just like nothing. You know, there's nothing. I got a wife who uh, loves what I do, who allows me to do my job the way I want to do it. Uh, you know, my journey allowed me to meet her and, and uh, have an awesome son that I hope. I hope he likes basketball. I don't know. He's got two parents that like basketball, so I, you know, I don't know. He's right put now. that ball in. The, he just keep putting that ball in his hand. He'll be, be he'll be all right. No, but uh, you know, if you change something, does 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 the road lead to Angelo State with my wife? You know, yeah. that's who I wanted to lead here with because uh, she's a coach's wife. You know, and and I'll tell you, my I'm so thankful for her. I probably don't say it enough to her, but she's made a lot of sacrifices to be here with me. You know, and. I'm glad it's worked out for her. She wanted to stay in athletics. She's, you know, assistant AD for compliance here at Angelo State. So she's still in athletics, which is awesome uh, for me. 
But, you know, let's say we don't meet. Uh, what does her coaching career look like? Because obviously she was having way more success uh, than I was. <laughs> She's <laughs> the best coach of the family. That's it. So <laughs> the sacrifices she made to allow me to do this. And, you know, it's who I wanted to be on this journey with. And yeah. so this road has led me to here. And, and uh, you know, that's why I said I hope I'm here for 30 years, you know, and I want to be here for a long time. I've built a house, you know, and it's the house that her and I wanted. And, you know, it's where we want to be. It's where we want to raise our kid. And, you know, for me, that's why the journey has been so unique. And I go back to that is what coach do you know is at the place he actually wanted to be when he started down that path? Oh, yeah, that's the you're the first one. You're the first one who's been able to to say that. And a lot of coaches are very thankful where they are. But to say that they had a plan for that, you know, being at that place a long time ago. And and I I thank you for sharing that. I, I think that is not that anybody's answer is wrong, but that is the answer, right? Is that nothing? Because there, I tell my players all the time, like in basketball, as a young kid and a high school player and a college player, I, I have zero regrets. Um, I I feel like I maxed out, or as uh, uh, one coach said, I gassed out. You know, like I met my potential there. But then, in my early, in my twenties, in my personal life. You know, I made a lot of mistakes and, and and lived really poorly for a long time. But then, you know, around the age of 30, you know, dramatic shift, dramatic change in my life allowed me to meet my wife, Jana, and then uh, to get this job at Faith. And it's one of those deals where looking back, yeah, some of those times would I love for situations to be different, decisions not to be made, sure, but at the same time, no, I don't change anything because of where I'm sitting right now at the school I'm at, getting to do this talk with you. I mean, how do things change? And so I appreciate that answer. No, I, I, you know, and I'm a podcast guy, I was saying, and one of my favorite podcasts is uh, one that PJ Fleck is in. Oh, This AFCA uh, coaching uh, clinic that all the football coaches go to, and PJ Fleck speaks at it. And you know, and, I, and I'm going to quote him on on part of what you said, because I just think, you know, and I try to we all steal from everybody. That's the great thing about coaching, you know, is, is we all try to steal from from everybody. But he says uh, failing is growth, but failure is quit. And I, I thought that was profound, you know, yeah. because we've all failed. You know, I, I mean, we have all failed. I, I'm just telling you this right now. Uh, but have you grown from it? Yeah. Because oh, that's part of your journey. Failing is part of your journey. It's part of the growth to get to you uh, to where you're at. You know, if if you quit, that's when you would be a failure, you know, but you, you know, I use the term you just did. You power through, you know, and has it been a glorious ride and just the easiest ride for me? No. I mean, I was making zero dollars my first two years. You know, I, I went as a second year guy, as a volunteer GA, I, I was lucky we had a team mom that worked in the education department. And, she hired me to grade papers for some online classes. So I made 800 bucks a month and 400 bucks went to rent. I thought I was the richest guy in the world at the time, you know, uh, for getting to do this. But it's it hasn't been easy and it's not for a lot of coaches, you know, and I think you fail and I think you grow from it and I think you fail again and then you grow from it again. Uh, but you're never a failure until you quit from it, you know, until it actually knocks you down and you quit. You're never a failure. And we're going to fail. Our kids are going to fail, you know, yeah. and they're going to fail in what we do. But are they growing? Are they becoming better men? 
you know, with what we do, we do a lot of unique things uh, in our program. Uh, you know, I do a, a class sign-in sheet and uh, our kids uh, early, they don't like it and they, they learn to love it. And their first class of the day, no matter what time it is, they have to sign in 15 minutes prior to their first class of the day. And they have to sign my door. And, and you know, I'm here. That's why I was here at 7.05 today is I had a player that had an 8 a.m. class. So by at least by 7.45, he has to sign my door. But I want me to be the first guy that our players see every single day. Hmm. Because you played in college. How many times did you go to practice? And that was the only time you saw your coach for the day. <laughs> that was about every day. Yeah. So then on those days where he's mad and he's frustrated, that's your only taste of that person for the day. And I tell our recruits, you know, I'm going to be more than just a guy you see in practice. And so when we do this class signing sheet, one, it's to help them academically. I know they're awake. I know they're moving around. I know they're headed in the right direction for the day. You know, so they're headed to class. We have an academic board that has all their assignments on the board for the week. So when they come and sign in, they look at the board. They know what's coming up for the week so they can start getting their assignments done. But I started that because I had part-time assistants. I didn't have time to go check classes. and I didn't have time. So I was like, how can I make them come to me? Yeah. And so I started this class sign-in sheet. Well, then it became it became so much more because my relationships grew even stronger with our kids because they're coming to my office every day. And guys that have class at, like our kid that had class at 8, he's in by 725 this morning. Doesn't have to be in until 745, but he's in at 725. So then he sits down. And we're just talking for 20 minutes before he's heading to class. Yeah. And that happens with our staff, with our players. That happens with me as they come in. And I think that's something unique that we do because I don't think a lot of programs do that. But I think with us, that relationship part, they're up here and they know, hey, we got someone in our corner with us. So when we do fail, we got people we can count on. Hmm. And I think that's important for young people, you know, for our players is – they're going to need help. And I don't know what it's going to be. It's not just going to be basketball for these guys. Right. Uh, I remember one of my first years, I'd signed this uh, freshman out of Lakeview Centennial. And I was a young assistant. And uh, I love this kid. We still, he actually texts me today. We still talk. Uh, he's a women's basketball coach at Louisiana Tech now, assistant coach there on the girls' nice. side. And uh, so I remember he was with us and his dad died of a massive heart attack at the age of 42. And he was just getting back to where he was building a relationship with his dad again, because his mom is who he lived with. And when we did the in-home and everything, it was mom, it was mom. And he was just getting to know his dad and his dad dies of a heart attack at 42. <sighs> and this kid is a sophomore. We'd just gone through a hard freshman year with him. He was freshman of the year in the league, but it was just hard for him being away from home. And, and then, boom, he gets hit with this. How, how are we equipped to handle this? You know, who's he lean on? Well, he leans on us, you know? And so my head coach and I are with him at like two in the morning, crying with him and being there for him. And, you know, we're the family there that's, that's with him in that yeah. scenario. A lot of times, and I don't care what level it is of coaching, these kids lean on us as coaches and they have to know that we're more than just basketball coaches. They have to know that we're people in their lives that they can count on. And so what started off as something I did because I had part-time assistance has led to so much more in our program. And it's what allows me to be able to coach hard 
and not ever have to worry, is that kid going to walk out the door? I mean, I've had coaches ask me, hey, what do you do in your preseason? And I'll tell them sometimes some of the stuff that we do, and it's challenging. I want it to be challenging. And they'll go, are you not afraid someone's going to quit? And my answer is always no, because if they quit, I've got the wrong person in this program anyways. But I don't feel like they're going to quit because I think our coaches have a strong relationship with them outside of practice. And yeah. it started with something as simple as that class signing sheet. They get to see me, whether it's five minutes a day, 20 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, outside of practice at a minimum every day like that. And it's just something that strengthened our our program so much, you know, and it's something that I've stuck with ever since I was the head coach my very first year at Oklahoma City. You know, I've never went away from that. Um, now I'm at a place where I'm a little bit more spoiled. I have a bigger staff that can go out and do a lot more things. And and we're still doing it because I understood how much more came from that. Yeah. And, you know, I think when we talk about failure, um, you and I are talking about growth because I think that's where when we're talking about our journey to where we're at. Who was there for you when you were failing as a coach? You know, you called a mentor. You called somebody you leaned on. And I try to take it with our players. Who Who's going to be there for our players when they fail? Yeah. You know, do they trust you enough? Do they have the relationship enough that you're going to be their call, that you're going to be their text, that you're going to be their meeting if they walk in with you, that you can be the guy that helped them through failure? And, and I just think, Everyone's journey so different uh, in this. And the real game is life. You know, it's not basketball, but everyone's journey so different in the game of life that they got to understand that, hey, we're going to fail. We're going to. And that may be a loss. That may be a loss of a loved one. You know, that may be whatever. We can define it in a lot of different ways. But then do we grow from it? Do we learn from it? You know, and, and whether it's a mistake that they made, whether it's a loss of someone, or how do you grow from it? How do you get better? And I think as coaches, when we've failed, when, what do you do when you lose a game? You're up all night, you're watching film, or you're up early the next day, you're watching film. What are you doing? You're trying to grow, you're trying to get better so you don't taste defeat again. But we're, we're growing, you know, we're doing yeah. something growing. And so I, I do like, I love that quote by PJ Fleck because of that, because I think it not just with sports, but it encompasses so much more with life is, man, failing is growth. You know, and you're not a failure until you quit. And so I don't care if you win a lot of games or lose a lot of games. You're not a failure until you quit at this thing. You know, you quit on these kids. You know, you quit on your job. You quit on a marriage, whatever it might be. But, you know, what is failure? You know, and so I, I just I love that. I love that uh, podcast. It'd be one I suggest for you. I know you wrote my book down and uh I love that book. I tell you, it's the only book I've read in the last probably five years. But uh, PJ Flex podcast is just, uh, I think it, it 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 did a lot for me as far as self-reflection. You know, some of the things he had to say in that is it, it, it did a lot. And I think if you, you trust yourself and you're true to yourself, you know, those are the things that help you along the way as a coach get through some of those failures <clears throat> is trust in yourself because, Man, I could have quit when we won 10 games at Northwestern. Yeah. And took that team through COVID. I mean, I could have said, hey, maybe I'm I'm not cut out for this. You know, maybe I can't do this. And and it's just not for me. Maybe I'm not a good enough coach. Uh, but instead, you know, what do I do? I mean, I started looking for different things. I read a book. I was looking for different ideas. I was growing. I was learning as a coach. That helped me have the season to get to here, you know, and and – Brad Franz, who's the athletic director there at Northwestern, I told you he took a chance on me 
to go to Northwestern. And I didn't want to fail him. You know, I wanted to work my tail off for him. And he helped me and he's a reason I'm here. And Jim Abbott, my AD at Oklahoma City, is a reason why I'm here. Uh, you know, and I go all the way back and you look at all the people that's helped you along the way. They've not just helped you get to where you're at. They've helped you grow and become the person you are today. And so I still talk to, you know, I talked to Brad Franz last night for 40 minutes and I'm not even working for him anymore, you know, because nice. he became a closer friend when I left uh, Northwestern. And so, you know, it's just been awesome. I've worked for great administrators. Uh, when I worked at Oklahoma City, uh, because of traffic, I lived in Edmond and I, I got there at 715 every day. I had to leave at 645 to get there. There were two people at work every day, and it was Jim Abbott and Kelly Perry. Jim Abbott was our athletic director. Kelly Perry is our associate AD. When I got to Northwestern, and I'm, I'm doing the same thing there, I'm there early every morning. There's one guy there, and it's Brad Franz, our athletic director. When I get to work at Angelo State, the guy that's here at 8 a.m. or before every morning is James Reed, our athletic director. And so I've been fortunate. I've worked at places where the people I work for work just as hard. Yeah. That's why the athletic departments I've been fortunate enough to work for have had the success that they've had. You know, it hasn't been me, I promise you. It has not have anything to do. We've had good administrators, players, staff, and I've just been really fortunate in this thing. And and it's just it's been a fun ride. I'll tell you that right now. It's been a very fun ride for me. And you know, I'm hoping it's something I can continue to do for a very long time. I want to get the the speed round in so that uh, the, all those guys that if, if any of the coaches that have that you've worked for or they've worked for you or players listen to this they'll get to know even better or they can kind of check and see if they knew these things already you ready all right favorite ice cream flavor uh i'm pretty vanilla i will go but i'm going to tell you too i'm gonna go vanilla and or cookies and cream because i love them both the same nice greatest shooter of all time oh that's a hard one that's a hard one uh, <laughs> You mean now or ever? You said all time. All time. All time. Shoot, that is a very difficult one. I'm going to just say, for the sake of no argument from anyone right now, I'm going to say Steph Curry. Yeah. That's unbelievable right now, but yeah. I don't know if I've ever seen anyone like him. Your favorite one-liner to tell players, like when, when guys graduate or they come back years later, they're like, Coach, you just always said this. What would it be? I don't know if we can say that on the air. <laughs> <laughs> so That's we'll, fair. Censor, we'll censor that one, but uh, yeah. Um, I think that'll be the best way. To describe there you go. <laughs> best basketball movie of all time. Uh, best basketball movie I like. I mean, I love Hoosiers. I'm going to give you two on this, but I'm going to give you Hoosiers because I love Hoosiers as a basketball movie. I'm going to also give you a non-basketball sports movie that's my favorite sports movie. is Cinderella Man, boxing movie. Um, I could go into a long deal on that deal. I will, I will refrain from doing it. But I, I will throw this nugget at you before we get to the next one. How come every sport, I don't care what sport it is, football, basketball, baseball, how come a lot of analogies we use deals with boxing? I don't know. I'm going to throw that nugget at you, and you can think about that one. But I love Cinderella Man. It's a boxing movie. It's set in the Great Depression. It's a man that overcomes a lot of adversity uh, to overcome, to, to become a really good boxer. And, and yeah. uh, I love the movie. Yeah. I would think just the the, the struggle the the and how 
if you if you stick with it any given moment you can you know kind of triumph or overcome i don't know it's good times in the locker room have you said throw the first punch or then how many times have you said knock them out you know or yeah how many times- you said don't let them back in the corner or whatever you know what i I mean we just we use many analogies from boxing uh i've always thought about that it's been very intriguing to me i don't have a good answer for that but uh that's why i added cinderella man to to my i like that uh texting or talking talking no doubt about it phone calls for high school shot clock or no shot clock gotta have a shot clock thanks coach look at the direction the game is going within 10 years we will have a shot clock uh, in high school. I do think that. I do think in college, uh, hopefully for men's basketball, we're going to have four quarters. We're the only sport that has two halves as far as yeah. basketball. You look at FIBA, NBA, yep. people, no doubt. AU. I mean, I mean, what are we doing right now? Let's get to two halves. I want to advance the ball with a timeout. Uh, Would you college. like it to go to 24 shot clock? I think that's coming within the uh, next 10 years. I don't yeah. like it. I'm, a, I'm more of a defensive guy. I know you're more <laughs> of a shooter. But I also, I, I'm fearing that defensive three seconds in the lane is coming. But I don't know. I hope it doesn't. I'm, I'm a guy oh. I love midline, you know. I'm yeah. Like, put the tape down that's, what makes, that's what makes the USA team struggle in yeah. FIBA and all those. Is those, that, that pain is just junked up. That's why Lucas said – that the NBA has the best players, but it's easier to score in the NBA than overseas. So I see that. Favorite holiday? Favorite holiday for me is always going to be Christmas because you get time off with your family. I think we're in the hardest sport when it comes to time. We cross about every major holiday you can imagine. Yeah. Uh, the one where we get time off with our families uh, is Christmas. And, and you know, I told you I have so many good memories of coming to San Angelo uh, for Christmas. It made me love this place, and it made me want to be here. So, you know, that, yeah. that one's a great. Name a bucket list item you still need to do. Go to Fenway Park and watch a Red Sox game. Nice. Sure. That's a good one. Last one in basketball, who is the GOAT? Michael Jordan, not even a question. Not even a question. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you this right now. If today's players – I mean, there was the Jordan rules for a reason. Yeah. Never heard of the LeBron rules. How many times have you seen YouTube videos or whatever else of, of phantom fouls and LeBron, LeBron acting? There was no way Jordan could do that. I mean, that dude got hammered at the rim. The Pistons just crushed yeah. him. So, yeah. Just watch the last dance. For oh, yeah. anybody that's on the fence about who it is, watch the last dance and just – you don't have to like him, but – was there anybody better? I don't know. But I'll add to this too is how much more would he have scored if they knew how important the three point line was back then? Yeah, there wasn't an emphasis on it at all. He could obviously do it because he hit one game where he had seven, and there was like, I can't believe he had seven. Now that just seems like such a normal number. Yeah, I mean, it was common to see NBA games and they take less than 10 threes for it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's unheard of, right? With the way the game is going. <laughs> that's, that's the first four minutes. So I just think he would have scored even more, you know. Yeah. And I know everyone debates that because they think there's longer and better players and more skill. I do think the league and college and high school is the, the players are getting bigger. Yeah. I think all our guys are more skilled. You know, we're losing back to the basket digs like crazy. Uh, fortunately, you know, I'm hoping we got one or two on our team this year. But uh, I think with the way that the basketball has shaped, it would have been even better for Jordan now. No doubt. Coach. 
this was so much fun, man. Like I really, I really appreciate your time. And uh, I just, the way that you run your program, the story, it was just so enjoyable to get to learn more about you. And definitely you got a fan here. I think, I think you're, you've, you've done great things. I just think you're going to continue to do great things. I appreciate you having me on. I mean, I look forward to seeing your team. I mean, I, I, I'm, I, I've heard, I've been always through podcasts, some of the things that you've done because of other coaches that know you a lot better talking about it. But now I'm like, hey, I, I was thinking about that when I was mowing on Saturday, listening <laughs> to one of your uh, podcast. Is I got to see one of his games, man. I got uh, three still. What are you doing? We, we, we do like to shoot the three, but it's so simple. We're so simple that whenever I do share film, I always, you know, it's that 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 voice in your head that's like, they're just going to laugh, at, you know, no, but it's it's just about, uh, I think, playing, obviously, with pace and space. That's thrown around a lot. But just teaching guys how to be dangerous with with where they stand, with the ball touches their fingertips, give them clear decisions to make. Because I think with that uh, with that clarity, like you've been talking about, some in simplicity, they can really be dynamic. And and we do value the three. And and I, I don't believe in uh, – you know, you always hear about uh, uh, momentum, you know, and, and and the three things that you really got to worry about as a coach, time, score, moment. I, I don't believe in those. And I just believe in each possession being separate. And because of that, we can miss nine to ten threes in a row. We better take the next one if it's if it's the right shot for us. But uh, but anyway, coach, this was this was great. And and I did I do want to ask you if if coaches want to learn more about you, because you did mention a few things like the defensive scheme and things like that, that they want to learn more. What's a good way for them to contact you? I tell them contact me through email, you know, for people I don't know, I don't mind you know, my cell phone being out there either. A million people have it. Um, but I, I try to respond to any coach that reaches out to me. Uh, you know, I did, uh, I spoke at the TABC clinic this year, um, my staff has done a really nice job of convincing me to say yes to people this year uh, because I've, I really had always, I'd turned down. Uh, so is this how, are they the reason this happened? Is they, they told you to they just say yes. I just finally said, after, because of them making me do that TABC clinic. And yeah. I just said, I'm just going to start saying yes to things. Cause I think it's a great way to promote our program. Uh, and, you know, and, I, I love Angelo State. It's been an awesome place for me. So if it gets a gives us a chance to promote our program and our athletic department, our university, I'm going to do it. But you know, I, I'm telling you, you know, for the defensive stuff, that thing is online. That that TABC clinic, and I broke down our shell and things like that as well. And and so you know, if people want to start there, uh, if they're curious on that, and, and I'll tell you this, I I don't mind talking offense. I mean, if people label me as a a defensive coach, which is fine. I mean, you know, we're going to try to guard. We're going to try to be really good on that end. Uh, but I always laugh because our teams are always up there, you know, in field goal percent offense, you know, and scoring. And, you know, we were top whatever in the league in scoring. We're top whatever in the league in field goal percent this last year. But people always peg me as a as a defensive coach. And, you know, I tell my recruits, we're going to we're gonna guard. I mean, there's no doubt. But I want to run. And we can't yeah. run a football through the net all the time. Yeah. And so, you know, so I, I find that funny. So I don't know. But. I'm open to whatever. Our practices are open. If anyone wants to come, come on uh, down to San Angelo. We're, we're open uh, to anybody. Come. If you want to come down, come on down. You know, Man, I'd love to. This was such a pleasure. Hope we can create a friendship, uh, keep this relationship going from this, and just really appreciate your time, man. Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you for checking out today's episode. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast. 
share it with your fellow coaches, and find us on social media for what's coming up next on the Jamoti Podcast. It's just a matter of doing it.